0: Okay, this morning we will continue to navigate through First Peter. We're in First Peter two. We'll be starting and getting in verse eighteen this morning. And let me have somebody to volunteer to read that. Anybody want to volunteer? Eight, eighteen to twenty. Yeah, that's good. First Peter two verses eighteen through twenty.
1: Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable, for this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up on the sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there when you sin and are harshly treated? When you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God.
0: Okay. And Mike, you'd volunteer too, so not now, but when the time comes, read for Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. Okay, he starts out saying, Servants, be subject or in subjection to your master's... This shows that in 1 Peter, he is now in what we would call the ethical part of it, based on the doctrine that I have taught you prior in this epistle. Because of that, this is how you are supposed to live. You've got tough times ahead of you. Don't depend on yourself. Depend on these words from God. This is how you are to live. So, a few verses prior, verse 13, he tells them to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Um, They are going to be persecuted. They are under the authority of wicked men, but they are still supposed to be in subjection to them. And... But the will of God, in verse 15, is that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And we're to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So even though these bad things are coming upon you, this is how you're supposed to live. And they did not have good reputations, Christians didn't, because basically because they wouldn't bow the knee to Caesar. And uh, so, but Peter tells them, this is how you, how you are to act. This is how you're to react. And by doing this, by doing good, you will put them to silence. So that's what he had told them. And then that brings us to today's lesson for us, uh, beginning in verse 18. <clears throat> All right, any notes here? Peter continues instructing them on the subject of submission. Okay, now remember on submission, which we started last week, we had, they have um, commands to be submissive in chapter 2, verse 13, chapter 2, verse 18, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 5, verse Five, the governors, masters, husbands, and wives, to one another. So this continues the theme that Christians are supposed to live a life of submission. Okay, now here he is addressing household slaves. Be subject for the Lord's. Excuse me, that's the wrong verse. Verse eighteen, servants, be subject to your masters. All right. The the word for servants here is household servants. Um, It can't be anything but household servants if you look at it in the original language. And it's a command, it's in the imperative. Be subject or be in subjection to your master's or subject yourself to your master's. It's probably the best translation of that. Subject yourself to your master's. So he seems to be addressing house, addressing household slaves. <clears throat> and so this would instruct us on the attitude we should have for those in authority over us. Okay, so we are to be in subjection to the authorities that are over us, including our work, our work situation. That's part of what commandment? Who knows there are ten commandments today? That we are subjected?
2: Honor your father and mother.
0: Right. Which is which commandment? Five. Five. So he's in the fifth commandment here. All right, in your notes, we are to submit to them whether they are good or evil. Be in subjection to your own masters with all respect, not only to the good in general, but also to the unjust. Uh, One thing I meant to say, this word for masters is actually despots, which would be rulers and usually they're cruel rulers. That's where we get the word despots from this verse here. So be subjected to them. And this is easy to do. If you have a a terrible boss, it's easy to be good to them, right? (laughs) Well, we're supposed to Uh, we must keep in mind that God is over them. And we don't submit and we don't and we don't submit if they require us to go against God's law. So unless they require us to go against the ruler over them, which would be God, then we are to submit to them. But if they exceed their authority, we are to obey God's law instead of their command. I remember one time at work, we had to wear these. Well, I'm a trainer, job I'm in now. We had to wear these awful, terrible looking shirts. <laughs> and I thought, well, <laughs> I have to do it. They're not commanding me to sin. so. After two or three days, nobody wore them anyway, so I guess it was invalidated. It was a crime of fashion. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. So literally in this, in your notes, Peter tells them to submit in all fear to their despots. In all what? Fear. Fear. Greek word phobos. Fear. Be in subjection to your despots. Fear them. So we are accountable to those over us and they're accountable to God. We submit to them in fear. They should submit to God in fear. The prescription is for them to submit to God in fear. Very rarely is that the description. Let's have Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, read Slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to
1: the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that whatever good each, th- whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality
0: with him. So the mindset we should have as Christians, I guess as to our wish young people were still in here with us. Um, is that when you are in a job situation and you have a rough boss, you have a boss that's not too good, um, you you have to submit to them to please God, but you can take pleasure in the fact they're going to have to answer to God. For any mistreatment they give you, they are going to have to answer according to Ephesians 6, 5 through 9. You're answerable to your boss. Your boss is answerable to God.
2: Well, I guess I would say that there is a difference. In slavery, you don't have any choice where God puts you. If it's an employment situation, you do have a choice. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to work for someone who's evil, even if they don't ask you to do anything evil, because you're kind of like helping them be... I don't know. It's kind of, yeah.
0: kind of linking yourself to them. So, um, yeah, just, there, there
2: comes that point where you have to decide that maybe this isn't a good place for you right. to be.
0: Yeah, um, nothing wrong with that. Right. But as long as you're under them, you have an obligation. <coughs> you have the freedom to leave. Yeah, I think mostly these people
1: that we're talking about here are, like I say, slaves household
0: servants they don't have a choice yeah now we gotta remember too that slavery in the bible is not slavery as we had in this country at one time usually if you were a slave it was because you couldn't pay a debt and you paid off that debt by being a slave
1: we had those too indentured servants Yeah.
0: yeah They had from Vermont, For yeah. So s- slavery is actually never condemned in the Bible. Right. Kidnapping yeah. is, which a lot of slaves were kidnapped. So that's where they went wrong. Bill, yeah.
1: Um, <clears throat> just to show the importance, at least I think the importance of consulting multiple translations and having good commentaries. Now you pointed out here that. In First Peter, the word "servants" literally means household servant. Now, the Christian Standard Bible translation has that household servants. I think there was one other, but these others that say they are very literal, word for word, they just say servants. So it's not quite the same. But the Ephesian passage that he just read, it's the Greek word "doulos,"
0: so it doesn't specify in that word a
1: household servant. Yeah. So it's it's, it's challenging to understand exactly. You know, is this specifically targeting only household servants? Um, It's helpful to be able to solve those questions when uh, when you're studying. Uh, That's
0: why we have a good Sunday school teacher. Appreciate that. All right, anything else on that? Yeah, by good and necessary inference, we could say Since Paul is telling them to be subject to their masters, um, that we should realize we should be subject to those in authority over us at work. But as Michelle pointed out, we do have the um, freedom to leave the situation. Probably all of us have done that at one time or another. All right next in your notes Peter reminds them that it is a gracious thing only if they suffer for doing good he says in verse 19 for this is a gracious thing and that's a good translation gracious it comes from the word for grace this is a gracious thing when mindful of god one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly so it's a gracious thing only if they suffer for doing good that's what your like is good they are not to do evil even when they are mistreated by what is literally called the, the crooked ones uh, it says what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure okay <clears throat> The then the verse 18 where it says that you are to um, yeah when you are to do good to both the good and the evil the word for evil there is where we get the word scoliosis so the crooks the crooked ones you're to do good literally to the good and also to the crooked ones and it's a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows for suffering unjustly. And then he goes on to say for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God a gracious thing so you know if you deserve it then you know just take your beating <laughs> but if you don't deserve it and you get beat- beaten it's a gracious thing in the sight of God if you suffer unjustly I'm going to read a comment by Edmund Clowney in his message of First Peter here Clowney's a very good capable commentator and he states here that um, they may be beaten without cause or even for good things they have done, but a crooked, he's referring to that word that we get scoliosis from, a crooked, perverse master may repay evil for good. If the Christian responds in kind, good for good, evil for evil, he becomes merely a victim when he is treated unjustly. In burning resentment, he seeks an opportunity to repay the evil. But if he bears the evil patiently, he has broken the chain of bondage in the power of the Lord. He shows his confidence in God's justice. He needs not avenge himself. He also shows that his service is not really forced, but voluntary. He is willing to serve his master for the Lord's sake, even to honor him for the Lord's sake this master cannot enslave him for he is Christ's slave he cannot humiliate him for he has humbled himself in willing subjection so you're really still just a slave of God you're not overall in the big picture a slave of this person now I like to point out the difference between Christianity and an unbelieving philosopher and a some of our lessons. Um, I uh, got on to Immanuel Kant last week. This week, it's a man named Seneca who was a unbelieving poet back a long time ago. And um, Clowney points this out in his book. He says, How different is the forgiving love of Christ from the best of pagan ethics? Seneca wrote, and this is a quote of Seneca, What will the wise man do when he is buffeted? He will do as Cato did. He did not burst into a passion. He did not avenge himself. He did not even forgive it, but denied its having been done. So Cicero says, when you are treated unjustly, you just deny it. What does he sound like? What kind of Theology or philosophy is that. Stoicism. Stoicism. Yes, he was a stoic, and that's the best they can do. You just deny it. You know, you just go along with nature. You know, let nature take its course. You just grin and bear it.
1: As far as religion, it
0: sounds like the Buddhist. Yeah, that too. Probably a lot of, a lot of unbelieving philosophies. But the Christian is above that. He does good. While being mistreated, he does good. So Peter does not tell us to, not, to deny, it like the Stoics, but to continue to do good. And this isn't the first time he said that. He said in several places in this letter, you do good, because <clears throat> by doing good, you put the silence, the ignorance of foolish people, and you went on to Christ. You save them from hell. They see your good works. They glorify your Father in heaven. Even though they persecute you, you're their only hope. And then finally on this passage, Jay Adams, great Christian counselor. I guess he was the founder of euthetic counseling, which is another word for biblical counseling. Jay Adams makes the following points on this. He says no slave could excuse his bad behavior on the basis of bad treatment by his master. It's inexcusable. If you have bad behavior at work, it's inexcusable. And then the second point, a slave could work in joy and satisfaction and with enthusiasm because he is working for God. Colossians. 3, Ephesians 6. So the Christian can Krishna can make it through it. He doesn't sit around like the Stoics and say, well it's me, I can, I can do it. I've got this. I've got this. No, he actually does good. And he can enjoy it. And he can get satisfaction from his work. Even, no matter what the circumstances. As long as the person in authority over him does not exceed his authority alright any questions on that any other insights yes Joshua
1: <clears throat> the stoic doesn't really go woe is me Yeah. whenever he says deny it he's saying deny the, the effects of it
0: yeah you're right he wouldn't say so, woe is me
1: in essence we both have a similar point of view both. we both are saying We need to bear all the hardships of his life. Uh, The Stoic says because there is no God and there is no one to complain to, so their end is different. For the Christian, it's we're serving God, even in our hardship.
0: Right.
1: So our actions are actually very similar, but the reasons and the motivations behind them are one is a, a foolish motivation and the other one is a godly motivation.
0: Well, the one dissimilar thing, though, is that we are supposed to do good. The Stoic is just supposed to kind of be neutral. So we do have the that, method there. But you're right. They wouldn't say, woe is me. Yeah. Fine. I think another difference is the, uh, uh,
1: the Stoic is uh, what, denies that it happens. And Christians, is, they're going to leave the consequences of bad actions to God. Right. And we're leaving that to God instead of just saying it didn't
0: happen. Yeah. Another good one. All right. A different volunteer for us for, to read verses 21 through 25.
2: Okay. All right.
0: We'll have Michelle to do that. For y'all listening out there we're waiting for the new pages to be distributed. Thank you so much. All right, Michelle, verses twenty-one through twenty-five.
2: For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judged righteously. Who, him, who himself bore and sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, who have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls.
0: Okay, now, Paul tells us in Second Timothy 1.9, he says that uh, God has saved us and called us to a holy calling. He has called us to a holy calling. All right, in your notes, that's what it says, we have been called to a holy calling. And this calling includes suffering. Isn't that wonderful?
2: What does it include?
0: Suffering. Not something we necessarily want to hear. But Peter assures us that part of that calling includes suffering. In verse 21. For to this you've been called. Because Christ also suffered for you. Our Lord suffered, and we will suffer. He's promised us that. Paul tells us that all those who want to live godly will suffer persecution. And Christ's suffering was different from ours, though. His suffering was much more severe. He suffered for us. All the sins of all of the elect, of all the time, he suffered on the cross and so he suffered the very pains of hell that we deserve he hasn't called us to do anything that he himself hasn't done we suffer unjustly he suffered even more unjustly than we did so Christ is our example Verse 21 tells us that this we've been called, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So Christ is our example. He doesn't expect us to do anything that he did not do. And then Peter tells us to follow in his steps. So this would, to be, would be to continue to do good even while suffering. And we will see how Christ did good even while he was suffering. Um, Bud, will you look up for us John 13, 36 and 37? And um, Dana, John 18, 26 and 27. Now Peter, from experience knew what he was talking about here. Of course he knows what he's talking about because he's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But he also experienced uh, something that's very interesting. And but when you get ready, John 13, 36 and 37 <clears throat> We're going to see what Peter said and then what Peter did. Simon, Peter said to him,
1: Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, for I am going. You cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you.
0: All right, so Peter is saying here, Lord, I'm going to follow in your footsteps. You don't have to worry about me. You know, I've got this. I will follow in your steps. Alright, let's read John eighteen, twenty-six and twenty-seven. One of the slaves of the high priest, being a relative of the one whose ear Peter cut off, said, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter denied it again, and immediately a loser cloat. Alright, so Peter several times denied that he was even a disciple of Jesus. So, we see here that Peter had to learn this. He thought he knew how to follow in the steps of Jesus, but he didn't. But he finally learned this, and he's telling them here, you must follow in his footsteps. All right? i uh, I'm going to call it here because we're going to get into some really good doctrinal teachings. And so this will be a good place to stop for today. Any questions or comments on anything today?